Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. As many of you know, we have connected with the Christian Writers Group here at Calvary Mac. And thanks to Sandra, we have all of these amazing authors that just keep coming and coming to share their stories. So tonight is no different. Tonight, my guest is Dawn, and I'm so excited that she's here to share a little bit of her story with you. As always, before we start and really dive all the way in, we'd like to just Welcome you, Don, and ask you to give a, a brief introduction of, of who you are for the listeners. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm glad to be here today. I'm a mom and a grandma, and I just retired after 19 years at our local public library. And I've been writing for a long time, which we'll talk about more in this as we go along here. But I, and this is my first podcast, so bear with me. <laughs> it's good. To, it's good to be here. Well, we're so glad to be your first podcast. It's so exciting. <laughs> and thank you again. You know, as we were chatting before we started recording, I, I think the phrase that you use that so many women will identify with is coming full circle. And and many of us have maybe experienced that in some ways, whether that's just a tiny little circle in one little chapter of our story or the or the big circle that kind of encompasses it all. But in order to understand how you came full circle, we have to start at the beginning. We have to start at, you know, that very first point of the circle. So Dawn, I'd like to invite you to share your life story with us. Yes, and thanks for inviting me. As I mentioned earlier, yes, this is not only my first podcast to record, but I don't even really hardly listen to them at all. So this is new for me. And I was under the impression that I would be talking for 10 to 15 minutes, answering people's questions about writing, and then found out I was supposed to tell a whole story. But, you know, I'm a writer, so I should be prepared to do that, right? So after thinking about it and praying about it and getting past the complete panic mode, I determined that God probably knew all about it and understood exactly what I was saying yes to, even if I didn't. So must be okay. So I'm I'm here because he wants me to be. So here I am and let's go. <laughs> to tell my story and especially the writing part of it, I think I need to start at a writing conference I actually went to a good number of years ago now. It was right down the road in Portland, Oregon, actually at Multnomah University, what used to be known as Multnomah School of the Bible. The speaker was Bill Myers. I don't know how many of you have heard of Bill, but he's a best-selling author a movie and a movie producer. But he first became known back in the 1980s for his McGee and Me videos he produced with Focus on the Family. Those were just great. They were one of the early with actual people in the video along with animated characters. And so they were great. And my children absolutely loved those videos. So I was pretty excited when I heard that Bill was going to be the speaker at this conference. Well, Bill's main theme when he spoke that day was on our dreams, both the waking and the sleeping ones, the dreams that we have that God uses in our lives. And on the flip side, the often death to those dreams, or the seeming de death to the dreams. And he used for his premise the story of Joseph in, in Genesis. Joseph was one of Jacob's sons, the youngest, and he was the, the most, the, he was the favorite, which we know from Joseph and his coat of many colors. Hopefully we parents have learned that 
it's not good to favoritize your children. It causes family dissonance, and that's that's what happened. So Joseph had this dream, a couple of them, and everyone was bowing before him, sheaves of corn and different things, and and then he had to go and tell his parents and his family, his brothers, about this, and they all understood what the the dream meant immediately. He he foolishly told them, basically his family, that they'd all be bowing to him some day. And as you can guess, if any of you have more than one child, having the youngest tell the family, oh, by the way, I'm going to be bossing all the rest of you around someday, and it'll be great. It didn't go over well. So what happened is Joseph suddenly found himself being sold as a slave into Egypt. His brothers were really put out. So off he went, and he suffered a lot while he was in Egypt. He dealt with false accusations. He did a lot of really good things. He did a lot of things right. But uh, one thing after another happened. He had false accusations, spent time in prison. And for all intents and purposes, Joseph's dreams were nothing more than a joke. If being sold as a slave wasn't death to a dream, I can't think of much else that would be. But of course, as those of us who have followed the Lord very long know, that God has the final word. And he later redeemed both Joseph and the dream. Joseph and his entire family lived to see its fulfillment as well as the much greater plan that God had in mind all along. Bill then, Bill Myers then told us to all go back as far as we could into our, our childhoods and try to remember the first thing we could that we wanted to be when we grew up. He made the point later that God often plants his dreams, his plans in our hearts when we're very small. And it can be helpful to re-examine those early early dreams later in our lives to just see what God has been doing. When I did this, it took about five seconds to find my first answer. I'd been a horse lover since earliest childhood. I'd watched Royal Rogers and Dale Evans on Saturday morning kids programming. I'm sorry if this was before many of you were around and don't recognize those names, but women of a certain age, men too, will know that Roy Rogers was the king of the cowboys. Together with his wife, Dale, he was a singer and an actor and a TV cowboy. Roy's horse was a marvelous golden palomino named Trigger, and I loved watching their adventures on Saturday mornings. I also watched the Lone Ranger and his white steed, Silver. His shout of, Hi-ho, Silver, away, was his call to action as he went off to chase the bad guys. And then there was my friend Flicka and Fury, yet another Hollywood horse. By the time I was about six, I knew in my heart what I wanted to be when I grew up, a cowgirl. But as time went by, my dreams began to change. I had grown, and so had they. I soon discovered the love of story, and by the time I hit my teens, knew that I wanted to write my own story someday. And a few years after that, I began sensing that God might be calling me to the mission field. So there they were, my dreams, to be a cowgirl, a writer, and a missionary. And as I sat outside on Multnomah's lovely campus considering these things, I was astounded to discover that God had allowed all three of my dreams to come true. And on that note, let's go back a few dozen years. <laughs> I've already mentioned my early childhood love of horses, but it wasn't much longer after that that I was pulled into the magic of story. 
Some of my best early memories were listening to my dad tell my sisters and I amazing stories of life in the wilderness, of wild wolves and ferocious wolverines and all kinds of things in the forest, and he made them all up. I later learned he'd wanted to be a writer himself, but the reality of having four small children he needed to feed made that not truly an option. Still, his stories ignited a spark in me, and I like to think he'd be proud to know that his eldest daughter actually achieved some of the dreams he had first. As soon as I could read, the first book I checked out of the school library was about dinosaurs. <laughs> you thought I'd say horses, didn't you? But no, dinosaurs. It was a lovely, full-color picture book of those amazing creatures, and I've never forgotten it. The horse books came soon after that, though. Every book in the school library I could get a hold of, and later, every book in the public library about horses I found and read. Black Beauty, the Black Stallion series, Misty of Shinkotig, I read and loved them all. Occasionally, I'd take a break and switch to dog stories, crying over Beautiful Joe and being thrilled beyond measure by the wild north in The Call of the Wild. And before you worry that I never got to the classical girl books, I'll alleviate your fears. I did. I read Little Women and all Louisa May Alcott's books. And, of course, my favorite character was Joe, the tomboy writer girl. Somewhere along the way, I realized that out there somewhere, there were people who had actually sat down and written those stories that I so loved. And I began to think, why not me? Other than the tales that my dad had told me in my early, earliest days, my life at home was not a particularly happy one, and the stories that I read went a long way to filling the emptiness I often felt. I was still horse-crazy, but we were poor, and owning a horse was even more of a, an impossible dream than it had been when I was a tiny child. My mother was mentally unstable, and Dad was, by necessity, a workaholic. Life was just plain hard. Much of my early adolescence was filled with fear and insecurity. My dad and his mother, my grandmother, whom I adored, often told me to be good and help my mother. They meant well, I know, but I didn't know what to do. I was a child, watching my mother as she paced up and down the halls, pulling her hair, weeping, and talking to people only she could see. School wasn't any better. I love my classes and I love to learn, but early on in junior high I managed to offend the wrong girls. They harassed and threatened me, turned everyone else against me, and on occasion even hit me. And there was nothing I could do about it. Teachers were never around, and my parents were unavailable. As much as I longed to lose myself in books, it wasn't enough. For years my mother and sisters had made the grounds of the local churches usually, in my sister's cases, to whichever one had the best Sunday school contest going on. You know, the ones that gave out candy and other prizes to entice the neighborhood kids into attending? But my dad had had a bad experience in his earlier life at a church and would have nothing to do with them. I admired my dad and didn't trust my mother's erratic behavior, so I followed in his ways. If dad wasn't going to go to church, neither was I until one day. I didn't know what prompted it, but one Sunday, without even thinking it through, I got up, got dressed, 
and found my way to a little church around the corner, and I started learning about Jesus. There's a lot to that story. The love of the people who started the church, the welcome they gave me, the fun activities. But most of all, it was about Jesus, and little by little, the empty hole in my heart began to be filled. Soon I knew I would do anything for him. He died a horrible death on a Roman cross for me. He'd accepted me as his child, and he was preparing a place for me in heaven. Yes, I would do anything for him, and thought it would be really awesome to be a missionary, to go away were I to some foreign land where I could spend my life telling everyone I knew about him. During those teen years, two people who were amazingly encouraging about my dreams of being a writer came into my life. One was our pastor's wife, who also gave me free piano lessons and a key to the church so I had a place to practice. Could you imagine that happening in these days? <laughs> Mrs. Nye also taught the teen Sunday school class, and she told me about the parable of the talents. That was a story that Jesus told to his followers in the New Testament. The talents in those days was what they called money. Like we would say dollars, they would have talents. And the master of the household goes away, is leaving on a journey, and he gives a certain amount of money to three of his, his servants. One he gave ten talents, one he gave five, and one he gave two. And he told them to use it, to do the best they could with it, and to, he would take and have an, an accounting of it for when he came home. Well, both the first two did what they did. They went out, they found ways to make more money, saved it, and made more money for their master. The last one was afraid. He was afraid he'd lose it. And so he took the money and he hid it. And when his master came back, he said, Look, master, I saved it all for you, so it's not lost. Well, the master wasn't very happy with him. He wanted him to use that talent, to use that money, not just save it and keep it for himself. Well, it's not hard for us to understand the translation now that, and Mrs. Nye told me, even as a, told me as a young teen, that if God has given you a talent, an ability, uh, he wants you to use it. So we weren't supposed to go and bury them somewhere. At that time, I had no idea whether I actually had any writing talent, but I knew that I needed to try, and it was something I needed to look into and to explore. I knew it was, it was like a responsibility. So the other great encourager in that time was a completely different person. This was Mrs. Jewell, my creative writing teacher at Evergreen High School. Mrs. Jewell was one of those just encouraging, creative people that just tells you to try new things. I was allowed to try so many things under her tutelage to expand my writing wings. She was interesting and intelligent and seemed to truly enjoy talking to a 14-year-old. God used that woman's kindness in so many ways over my three years of high school, and she helped me to begin to believe in myself and my ability to tell a story. High school graduation came, and off I went to Bible college. I loved it, though I quickly learned that not all of my classmates had come for the same reason I had. To me, I thought it was virtually heaven going to be heaven on earth. I'd finally be surrounded by Christian people, and everything would be wonderful. Many of my fellow students, however, I later discovered, were Christian kids who'd come from very conservative homes, and this was their first time away from home, and they were going to take full advantage of it. So it was rather discouraging for me, who was looking for 
perfection, <laughs> but it's what it was. And I think it was probably good for me to realize that things aren't always what we expect. And also, as often happens, is often the case with girls who had grown up the way I had, I fell in with the first guy who showed me any attention. He wasn't a bad person, just not someone I should have married. I told him I might want to be a missionary, and he quickly agreed that he'd considered that too, but even when he said it, I knew he wouldn't. I tried to break it off with him, but he was persistent, and the bottom line, I was desperate. Thanks to the verbal abuse of those long-ago mean girls, I didn't think anyone would ever want me, and suddenly, someone did. Did I know it wasn't the right move? I think I did, but I didn't. I just didn't have the courage to walk away. The next 32 years were hard, and good. Some of my long-held dreams came to fruition. Others died a slow death. I had three children, and they were the lights of my life. I finally got a horse, and have never been horseless since, until recently. Was I a cowgirl? No, but I rode in horse shows. I was a 4-H leader, and I completed a 50-mile endurance race. I decided after a while it wasn't necessary to chase cows, an equestrian was close enough. Despite my unhappiness in the marriage, I stayed active in church, and I started writing. I began with short articles and stories for church publications, telling other people's stories, and sometimes my own. Then I branched out to freelancing pretty regularly for a regional equestrian publication. I interviewed Olympic athletes and helped celebrate the successes of local writers as well. I didn't make a lot of money, but I made a little, and I was having fun. And then one final door opened. I'd never forgotten my desire to be a missionary. I'd taught Sunday school and led Awana clubs over the years and did my best to spread the gospel through my writing and in person when I could tell people about Jesus. But a missionary in a foreign country, I thought that dream was dead, indeed, unable to be resurrected. Until it was. Suddenly I was on a plane flying from Portland to Managua, Nicaragua, with a small group from my church for a short-term mission trip. I led the children's programming, telling stories with a translator and my minuscule amount of Spanish, giving gospel messages, and praying with those who responded. I was scared to death and didn't do well with the heat and humidity, but it was wonderful. I went again the next year and to Mexico later on with the same group for two years after that. I felt I was finally doing what God had called me to so long before. I wasn't a missionary as such, just as I wasn't a real cowgirl, but it was close enough. God was and is so good. I was a cowgirl and a writer and a missionary. But my children grew up, as children do. And when they were grown and gone, the emptiness that, had, that was never far away began to take over bringing with it serious depression. Things I had loved no longer filled the void. I was riding one of our horses one day when the sweet little thing decided she didn't want to be ridden anymore. She went into rodeo mode and threw me, and I just lay there on the ground wondering if it was all over now, if I could be done with life and go to be with the Lord in that place he'd been making for me since I was 13. I knew I was in trouble. I never wanted to take antidepressants, 
The thought of being like my mother terrified me, and I just didn't want to go there, but I had to do something. I tried many different medications. Most didn't do anything. A few created scary side effects. The years went by, and I didn't get better. And one day, I was just done. I moved out of the house and away from a 32-year-long marriage. That was 14 years ago, and I still don't have all the answers as to what led me to that place. Maybe I never will, but I have learned some surprising things along the way. When I had moved out but was not divorced, I took my horse Dazzle down to the Columbia River and rode along the beach as sundown approached. I had never done this before, but that day, as I was riding, I cried out to the Lord, aloud. No one was around, but Dazzle was always a good listener. You're going to make me go back, aren't you? I shouted at God. And an instant later, I heard an answer. I'm not going to make you do anything, he said, quietly in a voice inside my heart. And if you make the worst decision you've ever made in your life, I will still be with you. I will still love you. I couldn't believe it. All my life, I had worked so hard to do everything right. Yes, I know. Ridiculous. But I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I'd been miserable, lonely, and so very tired. But I kept going because that's what you're supposed to do. And here, God was saying that even if I totally screwed up, he'd still be there. He loved me as me with all my failings. I didn't have to earn his love by being good. Please understand me. I am not saying that God said I should or could get a divorce. That is not what happened, and I don't want anyone to take that away from what I'm saying. What he said had nothing to do with divorce. It had to do with me knowing I was loved with a love that was truly unconditional. I hadn't been able to comprehend or accept that in more than 30 years. It took my leaving the marriage to failing in a big way as far as I could understand, before I could finally begin to understand that. But I also knew what I knew, and that, among other things, as the Bible says, God hates divorce. He'd assured me he'd never leave me, that I was forgiven, that I was loved. But I assumed he was done with me any service I might have still given him. In the church I'd grown up in, a divorced person is not allowed to teach. They're effectively set aside for ministry in most any major way. And I understood that, It was I, and I got it, I did. But it was still hard. But I also felt I deserved it. A few years later, the church I was currently attending announced an upcoming short-term missions trip to the central European country of Slovakia, and something just grabbed at my heart. I knew it was probably ridiculous, but I went to the informational meeting, listened, and knew I desperately wanted to do this. Still, there was a four-page long application packet where, among other things, they asked about your testimony. I was completely honest, and I told them all about my past experiences and also about the divorce. I assumed they wouldn't be interested in having me. There were a lot of people at that meeting. But when the day came for the reviews and decisions to be announced, I was told I was welcome to join them in going to Slovakia. I've been to Slovakia four times now and have such a love for that little, oft-overrun country. I have true friends there, several who write. Thanks to Facebook, we like to argue about our social media and its failings, but I get to talk to my Slovak friends all the time, and it's wonderful. (laughs) 
little aside there. But for three years, I was also the English language editor for the school's monthly newsletter. The writer, a dear friend named Hedvi, put the newsletter together in English, but sent it to me via email for cleaning up to send to their English language supporters. Oh my goodness. Hedvi's spoken English is wonderful, but the writing? I'd read entire sentences, entire paragraphs, and not know what she was talking about. But my background in language and words, plus my joy in being able to serve in some way, kept me going. I frequently asked Hedvi if my translation actually was what she intended to say. She would always laugh and say, Just right, Dawn. It's perfect. As far as my writing goes, I still write the occasional short piece for church publications, but my emphasis for the last several years have been on writing novels for teens, a.k.a. the YA crowd. <laughs> my teen life was so intense, so volatile, in both good and not-so-good ways, I've always related to that group. I write fantasy because those are the, often the books I like to read. Plus, in the secular world of publishing, fantasy seemed to be a lot cleaner than contemporary stories for a long time. That's, that's changing, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say. But I still think there are girls out there who want to read clean stories about adventure, fighting the evil wizards, magical worlds, and, of course, the handsome, noble hero. That's a niche I'm trying to fill. If you want to check out my website, it's dawnshipmanfiction.com. And you can read a little bit more about things there, if you want. So, I have come full circle. I started out as a young girl, just wanting to ride horses, write stories, and serve Jesus. And now I'm an old girl, gets to do all those things. The dreams I thought were dead have been resurrected. I wasn't put on the shelf spiritually, after even after my fall. He loves me, he's using me, and it's all good. Oh, Don, thank you so much for just opening chapter after chapter. And I know, as with every story, we kind of mentioned this in most episodes, that there's certainly more to your life story. But just even in hearing that, the amount of things you talked about that listeners relate to, that feeling of acceptance when you finally find it in God that you don't have to have a certain resume and you don't have to look a certain way or be a certain way. There's just kind of all of these things where we're sort of almost like little hamster wheels in life, just trying desperately to find where do we fit? What do we do? How am I going to be accepted? Who's going to like me? Who's going to want me? And when we really realize we can just stop and let go and realize that the creator of the universe created us and he didn't make any mistake. And he's just kind of waiting for us to surrender our, our lives to him. And oh my gosh, the doors he opens when we do. I just think it's so, so, so special that he remembers and knows every detail of our hearts and our dreams. These simple, beautiful, clean dreams that you had as a girl, they did. They came full circle and they there was kind of an adventure with each one of them throughout your life. And then here we are now, which is... I hope very encouraging for anyone listening. If there was something that that maybe meant a lot to you, a particular dream you had or something in your childhood or earlier life, it doesn't have to be gone. It doesn't have to be over. And it is pretty amazing the way God brings certain things back 
because his timing, in case you all haven't experienced this many times already in your life, his timing is usually very different from ours. (laughs) Just how he can show up with the answer to a prayer from a long time ago when we, sometimes when we least expect it. I think it's pretty special. Toward the end, you mentioned something that I think is so relatable that feeling of, am I, am I worth anything anymore? Do I have any service to offer? Do I even, do I have a purpose anymore within the, the church body or just life in general? And I imagine that there are several women who feel that. And so if, if you had that opportunity to sit down with her one on one and give her a little encouragement that no, she's not done. She's not up on a shelf. God's not finished with her. What might you say to her specifically? Well, no one's asked me that question, and I'm kind of wonder. I wondered too. I was really torn at the time because it, it's easy. It's easy to think that the only way you can serve is in a, a church proper situation, a formal way. And I think that's uh, we've gotten more and more divisive as time has gone by. Where there's there's the professional Christians, and then there's the rest of us, and that's not really the case at all. We all have a part. We've all been called. We all have something we can do. When I met my friend Hedvi over there in Slovakia, she literally broke down into tears saying, do you know how long I've been praying for someone that can help me with this? And I I was crying too because I couldn't believe somebody wanted me to help. <laughs> there was something that I could do to help. And yet God opened that door and blessed us. And, and over the top, she is one of my dear friends today, and I still see her on Facebook, and, and it's just, it's been wonderful. So don't give up. It may not look the way you thought. I thought because my gifts were in teaching and writing and speaking, and I couldn't do those things in the church anymore, in our church, that's how it worked, that that was, that I was done, but it wasn't. There was all kinds of things I could still do, and I've been able to do some, and it's been, and been very, very fulfilling. So don't give up. Just keep asking God what, what door he wants you to go through next. Very well said, and I could not agree more. I think it's something we all, we all need to be reminded of that, like you mentioned with the talents, whether that's money or our gifts or what we're, what our opportunities are, we've been given a lot more than we realize. And we need to be serving. So as we close, I was hoping that you would pray for our listeners, pray for the women who, who identify with your story. There, there's so much to identify with, whether somebody out there experienced a tough childhood or bullies, the feelings of rejection, where do I belong? Women who have been through a divorce, Women who have wondered, like we just talked about, what their purpose is and how they can be used. Women who are considering the mission field. I think the beautiful thing of stories is we can find ourselves in each other's stories just as much as we can learn something totally new about somebody that we've never met before. I would love to invite you to pray for them. Dear Father in Heaven, I thank you so much for being there at that little church when I went so many years ago and for opening my eyes to you and who you are and beginning that life and for being with me every step of the way and even in the hard ways you were there and Lord I want to pray for those who are listening to this today I know there are other women out here who have gone through similar things and only you know all of their story and I just pray for them that 
that they will see that you we're still here. <laughs> if we're still here, you have a purpose for us. And to find what that is and to go the direction that you've that put in our hearts, those dreams, those things, even from our childhood, that we put away those childish things, we thought, as we grew older. But they're still there. They're still in our heart. And that often means you have something you want to do with those things in us still. So I pray for women who may be thinking those very things right now. You'd open their eyes to what that thing is. Even me with my silly cowgirl stories, it, it was who you made me to be all those years ago. And, and, and you delight in those things that you've given us. So I pray for them and pray that they'll be encouraged and they'll walk on with you and we'll all just enjoy so much this life you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Dawn. I really appreciate your story. And we will include in the episode notes any any of the links for your writing and just kind of what you're up to. And so any listener who wants to find out more and, and get connected or follow you, you can you can find that in the episode notes. We hope you were blessed and encouraged and impacted in some way by this story and that you'll join us for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.